Hey friends, thanks for listening in to another episode of Cast the Word. Today we're going to be discussing the regard for iniquity. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode today. Our topic today is on the regard for iniquity, and our scripture is found in Psalms chapter 66, verse 18. And it says, If I regard iniquity in my heart... The Lord will not hear. There's a problem if we are regarding, if we are having a hard time letting go of sin that we're clinging to in our heart, because that type of lifestyle, that type of mindset, or you know, the way we operate, if we are regarding iniquity in our heart, then the Bible says the Lord will not hear us. What does that mean? It means that when we pray, we may we may not be reaching God. We may not be knocking on the door of, of heaven the way that we think we are if we are regarding iniquity in our heart. And there are many teachings in the church today that are spreading a gospel that is not found in the Word of God. There are many teachers today that are saying what the Bible says is sin is not a sin, and that's wrong. And by extension, By teaching that way, by preaching that way, they are essentially endorsing Christian people to regard iniquity in their heart, and that's not biblical. Not only that, it is a separation between us and God, especially through prayer. You know, the Bible says the Lord will not hear those that regard iniquity in our heart, and that should cause us to tremble. That should cause us to humble ourselves and to pray and to really consider our our life and the lifestyle we choose to live in order to not be separated or to not have our prayers hindered uh, to God. Now, this mindset here, someone that, that might regard iniquity in their heart, that type of person is clearly different than someone who strives to live according to the Word of God but may slip up here and there, or, you know, may have a misstep. Um, Someone who regards iniquity in their heart is someone that is reluctant to do better, or simply does not want to do better. That person may even ignore their sin, or be so deceived to the point where they think God has endorsed their sinful actions or deeds. This type of person enjoys the life of sin. They enjoy walking in the flesh, as opposed to walking in the Spirit. The issue is that the Lord turns His ears to this type of person, and that's a problem. We see this in other places in Scripture. We see it in Jeremiah 7.16, where we read, Therefore do not pray for this people, nor lift up a cry or prayer for them, nor make intercession to me, for I will not hear you. And this Scripture is discussing the people of Israel during during their time and during the time of the prophets and and, uh, their uh, time of of captivity and destruction, where they were turning from God, turning to the world, turning to their sin, and regarding iniquity more than regarding the fear of the Lord, or, um, you know, wanting to stroke their flesh rather than live a life spiritually according to, in their time, the law of Moses. The Scripture is discussing here in Jeremiah 7 that type of mindset and that type of people. And the Lord's saying He will not hear the prayer for them. They regarded iniquity in their hearts, and and they would not lay their sin down and turn back to their Maker, the, the God who delivered them out of Egyptian bondage. 
if we are to reach the Father through our prayers, then we must recognize the sin that is in our own life and understand that if it not be for the blood of Jesus and His forgiving grace, we would be nothing. We would be nowhere. We would have nothing. It's by His grace that we receive forgiveness in spite of our wickedness and and you know despite our depravity if we are to reach the lord in heaven then we must not regard iniquity in our hearts the problem in the world today is the progression of a, of a society toward new social norms and using those norms to infiltrate the church and this infiltration is more like indoctrinating the church to change her beliefs away from what the Word of God teaches, because that is not relevant for today, and instead put the focus on the teaching of man and man's fleshly desires with no inspiration of the Holy Ghost, with no drive or motivation or guidance from God. Instead, it's a it's a motivational life coach-esque type of church service, and that's not what we want. If we go to church and the Bible's never open, there's a problem there. And in this time we're living in, it's imperative that we cling to our Bibles and we read our Bibles now more than ever. We need the reflection of the Lord's Word to show us within ourselves something that maybe we're living in that the Lord hates. And I believe we find that in the Word. I believe that when we open the Word of God, it can be a mirror for ourselves. Lord, and this is what I pray when I read, Lord, show me something today. Even though I may be reading a scripture that I've read many times before, show me something new today. Work in me. Let your word be a reflection for me to to discern, is there anything in my life that I need to get out? And while we cannot work with our hands to enter into his grace, because his grace is a gift, it's still important for us to strive for righteous living. It's still important for us to not operate in a lifestyle of sin, and to not regard perpetual iniquity within our lives. John 9.31 says, Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. And this verse is referring to someone who is living within that lifestyle of sin and being unrepentant. The wisdom of God shows us our position facing a holy God and reveals to us that we need a Savior to enter into His presence. See, God is holy, and no sin can dwell within His presence. And when we repent, when we do come to God and ask for forgiveness, repentance means to turn away, to turn away from that sinful lifestyle that we're living, recognize the depravity of our situation, and instead choose to put our faith in Jesus and to walk in faith and not by sight and to start laying down some of those things that we used to do B.C., before Christ. Because God is holy and no sin can dwell within his presence. And the Lord understands man's depravity, which is why Jesus was the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. There was a plan set way back when for Jesus Christ to be the propitiation for our sins. And Jesus is the only way we can enter into the presence of a holy God. We can't do it on our own because there's nothing good within us. We can't earn our way into heaven. We enter in only by the forgiveness of our sins through the repentance and through the faith and under the blood of the Lamb. Paul writes in Romans 7 that it's not the law or the actions of carnal minds and bodies that forgives us of our sin. He writes, starting in verse 13 in in chapter 7, 
Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. This picture shows us the constant struggle between the flesh man and the spirit and the spirit man. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, right? How many of us can relate that we may have at times done things that we sincerely hate? It's easy to go through the wide gate. It's difficult to go through the narrow gate. The narrow gate requires us to lay things down that God hates. The narrow gate requires us to say no to the flesh and to say yes to the spirit. To no longer operate in that lifestyle of sin, but to lay the sin aside and to walk according to the Spirit. This path teaches us to listen to the Spirit and to not listen to the temptations the enemy is dangling before your face. See, after you become saved, if you're anything like me anyway, that doesn't mean that those temptations and those struggles that you had before Christ just simply disappear. No, they're still there. Just because I'm saved doesn't mean that, you know, I have a, uh, my mind's erased and I forget everything that I did before and I no longer want to do those things. I mean, the, the difference, however, is that I now have a desire to not want to do that, but, or to not want to participate in that sin. But the issue is, is that I am still a man and I'm still the same man. Yes, the Lord has changed the inside of me. But the temptations are still real. The temptations are still there. And oftentimes the same temptations that I struggled with before Christ. So the, the difference now is, is now that I'm saved is that I see that for what it is. I see that as a temptation rather than just an activity of daily living, which it was before Christ. Now I see it as a temptation. And I see it as a challenge, a spiritual challenge, and in fact, spiritual warfare. That now I have a decision to make. Do I want to give in to the flesh, or do I want to give in to the Spirit? And before Christ, that's never even a question, right? We never question before we're saved, am I going to do something carnal, or am I going to do something spiritual? You just, you just live your life however you want to live it, right? So when we become saved, we now have a decision to make. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in, our the guide, the paraclete, the one who walks right beside us, our comforter, our guide. And ultimately, the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of knowledge, you know, the desire to not want to sin against a holy God, that helps us spiritually, right? So I got off on a tangent there, but my point is, is that, you know, the narrow gate requires us to say no to the flesh. It requires us to say yes to the Spirit. And that's why it's narrow, because not many people go that way. It's a hard path to take. It's, you know, crucifying your flesh to, to the cross daily. It's require, it requires us to stand bold and to enter into spiritual warfare, knowing that there's going to be a battle. Because the wide gate's the easy route to take, right? That's why there's a lot of people that go that way. It's the easy step to take. You just... You just flow with the world. You just go however you want to go. Do whatever you want to do. Now, to move on from that, Paul also talks about the importance of the law and that it's not sinful to practice the law. So if you remember, we 
we're, we got off on that tangent after reading Romans 7. But it's not the obedience of the law that purifies our hearts and washes us whiter than snow. It's not rituals or religion that stamps our ticket to heaven. Rather, it's through the blood and through the forgiveness of God that makes the law sweet to us. In fact, it's the law that reveals the sin to us. And we read that again if you go a couple verses back in Romans 7 verse 7. Paul says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, You shall not covet. And Romans 6, 7, and 8 teaches what Christianity is for today and also shows the transfer from the law of Moses to the grace of God. And my point in bringing this out here is that in Romans 7 specifically, Paul is teaching that he has a desire to want to do good, but it's the flesh that's pulling him back. It's the flesh that causes him to trip and stumble. It's the flesh that makes him, you know, have those mistakes. And we all have those mistakes. We all have those missteps. But it's also a balance here. See, there's good on both sides. You can't live a life in religiosity where you say, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this, when there are, in fact, things that the Bible says we shouldn't do. But it's not as if we're approaching those things saying, I can't do this because if I, if I do this, I can't get to heaven. Or this is, better said, this is my way to get to heaven by doing A, B, C, D, E, F. You know, that's not the way the New Testament covenant is established. The covenant is established through the grace and mercy of God. And it's no longer abiding to that law. That law isn't what saves us. It's now the grace and the faith of, in Jesus that saves us. But does that mean also that we should forget and, and neglect every you know thing out there in the Bible that says we shouldn't do whatever? No, it doesn't that isn't what that means either. It's the law that reveals to us what the sin is. If we have that mindset, then we might as well say, well, if, if we're going to go down that road, then thou shalt not murder. Does that mean because now we're in the New Testament that it's not a sin to murder, that we can do that and, and you know, go down that road and, and not consider that sin? No. And if we are to live a life to not regard iniquity, then we've have, we have to come to the understanding that there is still sin. Even though we are saved by grace, that is not a blank check of grace to give us the permission to do whatever in the world we want to do and be okay. And this is why a lot of New Testament Christians don't read the Old Testament, because we're no longer under that covenant. So what's the point, right? That's, that's the question they may ask themselves. And to that I say there's error in that thinking. There's so much in the Old Testament that speaks to where we are today. And I know I've mentioned this a few times in other episodes, and I don't know why really I keep bringing this up and it keeps coming up in episodes, but I believe it bears repeating from time to time. And for some reason, I'm hung up on this here recently because there is a large block of Christians that just simply refuse to read the Old Testament. And I guess it just weighs me down to hear about that because every time this topic comes up, I think back about a personal conversation I had with somebody where they said, I'm not, <laughs> why do I need to read the Old Testament? We're not in the Old Testament anymore. We're under the new covenant. But, you know, that that just doesn't make sense to me. You, you, you know, read the book of Isaiah and Jeremiah, for example. While those books may refer to the specific condition of Israel at that time and, and their sinful nature and and the destruction from the you know the Assyrians and the Babylonians on on the nation of Israel there are still so many parallels for today read where the Israelites were at that given time and you see so many parallels to the world today 
And the point I'm trying to drive home here is that as a New Testament believer, we must not regard iniquity in our hearts. Too many in the church today believe that since we are New Testament believers and under the dispensation of grace, that means we can do what we want. We can live like we want, watch what we want, say what we want with absolutely no consequence because we're saved. We've been forgiven, so we're good to go. We got our ticket stamped and and we're good to go. They read the Old Testament and, and for some reason dwell on the fact that in the Old Testament all we see is a God of wrath and judgment and believe that somehow when we move from Malachi to Matthew that Jehovah has completely changed. And we, we need to read the book again. Yes, there are judgments in the Old Testament for sinful people, but there is also mercy shown in the Old Testament as well as God's forgiveness. Read the book of Judges. Read the prophetic books. There may have been judgment, but we continuously read of a God that answered the cries of his people when when they cried to him, when they turned from their wicked ways, repented and prayed and, and sought after him. We read about a remnant that God had carved out for his name that were able to return to the land of Israel after captivity. We read about a God in Judges where time and time again after the people cried out to the Lord, he delivered them from their enemies. And they saw a period of peace before turning back to their life of sin. I actually break down this in pretty good detail in an episode we did a while back called The Cycle of Defeat, I think is what it was called. And we break down that uh, mentality that's found in the book of Judges where, where at that time the Israelites sinned and you know cried out to God and... Um, God heard them and, and delivered them from their enemies, you know, and it just goes over. We read the same thing over and over. And we see the same God in the New Testament as well, because my Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We still read in the New Testament about a God who's merciful, so merciful that he recognized that man cannot redeem himself, so he sent his only son to die a death in my place and in your place, to take on my sin and your sin so that we can enter into the kingdom one day under the blood-stained banner of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we still also, in the New Testament, see a God of judgment and see a God that warns the people to not err in our ways, to not regard iniquity in our hearts, to not operate in the flesh, but bear the fruit of the Spirit, bear love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness. And to people who claim that the Old Testament God was a God of judgment, and the New Testament God is different, a God of mercy, then I challenge you to go back and read the book again. Read the Old Testament and the New Testament again. Read the book of Revelation, and that's in the New Testament. The book of Revelation is all about judgment. There's judgment, mercy, grace, and forgiveness in both the New and the Old Testament because God hasn't changed. He's still the same. We've changed. We've tried to explain some of these things away ourselves in our own finite minds, but God hasn't changed. We've got to the point where we now want to rip out scriptures that may be uncomfortable to to mainstream society and to try to justify or twist the scripture to justify the lifestyles we want to live when they may be in direct contradiction to the Word of God. We now have churches where pastors don't want to preach the whole counsel of God because it may not be popular to hear. They may be more worried about keeping up attendance every Sunday, more so than saving souls and developing the body to grow deeper, stronger, and more mature. And the world is influencing the direction of the church as well. But I believe as the church goes, so the nation goes. I believe it's the church that's the true leadership. I believe it's up to the body of Christ to live according to the Word and to stand boldly on the Word of God in love 
That's the key in love and show the world that God is love, but also that God will not be mocked. And when heaven and earth passes away, his word will remain forever. His word is truth, and every promise and prophecy that is proclaimed in the Bible will come to pass. Every jot and every tittle will be seen as it is written. So today my goal is to try to encourage the body, to encourage you to not be influenced by social media influencers and by soundbite preachers that try to take away or re-explain the word. The Bible interprets itself, and if we hear a preacher that ever contradicts the word, then we must stand strong against that, and, and we must do so in love. The problem here requires us to know the book as it's written. You see, I, I am an originalist. I believe in what the Bible says as it is written. I don't think the Bible evolves or adapts to the standards or to the pressures of that present generation. What it says it means, it's pretty simple. If someone asks me what my theology is, it's pretty simple. It's, it's the Bible, as it is written. The Bible and the words within are settled, and they'll never pass away. We've got to get back in the Word and study and spend time with the Father, now more than ever, because there are doctrines today being preached that are not found in the Word. And we cannot know whether, we're, what, whether what we're hearing is true or not if we don't have a reservoir of, of the Word planted deep within our hearts. And we should also check out our preachers and, and validate what they're saying for ourselves. Don't just trust the man of God just because he's standing behind a pulpit. Check it out. Make sure it lines up. Preachers are men. You know, they're, they're people too. We all make mistakes. I'm not talking about an innocent misstep here, but when doctrines are being preached that are in complete contradiction to the Bible, then my question is how will we respond? What will we do? when we're in those situations. Many today are teaching that certain actions are no longer a sin. And to that I say this, if the Bible says it's a sin, then I believe it's a sin. If the Bible says something is the right thing to do, then I believe that it's the right thing to do. That goes back to what I was saying earlier about the law in Romans chapter 7. We don't live by the law anymore, but does that mean we don't do right things? That we don't live a life of hospitality and live a life of love towards others and and live a life, you know, the way Jesus wanted us to live, to give to the poor, to give to the needy, to, you know, be there for people that are underprivileged and, and all of those things. Yes, absolutely we should do those things. But do those things get us into heaven? No. And on the other side, we live by grace, right? We live in the in the dispensation of grace and mercy under under Jesus and and we don't have to live by the law to um, enter into heaven, but does that mean that we can live a lifestyle of lasciviousness and do whatever we want? No. You see, there's that there, there's that balance I'm talking about, and I, and I wish I could have came up with those words earlier, because that's what I was trying to get at. I don't know if I was clear there, but hopefully I cleared that up, and, and what we're trying to teach here um, is that you know a lot of people believe once you're saved that you can do whatever you want to do, and, and um, you know I'm not talking about mistakes and, and missteps and sinless perfection, but I'm talking about regarding iniquity, okay? I'm talking about living that lifestyle, and I don't believe that's scriptural. But again, it's not the actions that get us to, to heaven. Yes, we have to do those things. Yes, by being saved, we should have a desire to do those things. Not only should we have a desire to stay away from sin and not regard iniquity in our hearts, but we should also have a desire to do right things to uh, the world around us too. Amen? 
So I don't believe that the Bible has changed its mind. I don't believe that God has changed his mind on what, what's a sin and what isn't a sin. And we can't be deceived because in the last days, there will be a great falling away. In the last days, there will be a massive storm of deception coming across this world and the nations. We've got to be deep in the word. We've got to be deep so we're not deceived. And we must not regard iniquity within our hearts if we are to stand. We must recognize within ourselves, are there things in me that the Lord hates? Am I doing things perpetually, continuously? Am I living a lifestyle that, that is sinful according to the word of God? You know, if I am, then God help me. God, get out of me what you hate, Lord. Put more of you in me and less of me. Decrease me and increase you in my life. Help me, God, to not regard iniquity. Help me, Lord, to to hate sin the way you hate sin. Help me, Lord, to be convicted quickly, you know, when I do mess up. Help me to want to desire to live a more holy life. Sanctify me through thy truth, God. That should be our prayer. That should be our mindset, I believe. If we're going to grow, if we're going to mature, if we're going to be a light in this world that can be seen and salt that can be tasted, then it's time for us to take this thing seriously. It's time for us to, to decide once and for all, which side are we on? We can't have one foot in the world and one foot in, in the church and try to have the best of both worlds just to, just to get by. That's not what I want. I want to be 100% full on for Jesus. And God, my prayer is that if there's anything in me that you hate, reveal it. Reveal it quickly and help me, God, to be delivered from that thing. And that should be all of our prayer. Amen. Thank you guys so much for listening today. I pray that this has encouraged you and blessed you to some capacity. I know that uh, I was kind of all over the place. I kind of veered from my notes a few times, but I hope that's okay. Um, trying to speak from my heart this afternoon and, and deliver to you guys what, what I feel that God has put on me to speak at this present time. So thank you all so much for your continued support. If you feel led, then share this episode or this podcast with a friend or family member. Let's all do our part to cast the word. Stay strong in the faith, and I look forward to talking to you next time.